Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network. The podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with my friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What is up? Nate, it's great to be back in the studio again. It's great. Is it great to be back in the country again? It is... (laughs) It is excellent to be back in the country. Just uh, God bless the USA, baby. It's wonderful. And uh, just a quick note for those who, who don't know, I had the opportunity to go help out with some humanitarian aid there in Romania, Moldova, with, with the situation and the crisis that's going on with Ukraine. Wonderful opportunity. Glad for the opportunity to be able to help. And, and maybe just quick, it touched me as I attended church with a Christian group to see these small Christian communities dotted all over the place that are rising to the challenge, this this burning light against the darkness that's trying to creep in as they pray for peace. It was an amazing experience. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're safe and glad you're back. Okay. I'm glad we're gonna... that you're here to add, hopefully, a little bit more context to... To not, my, not much. To my did, uh, feeble attempts of, feeble of hosting my. this while you're gone. You did a great job. I, I was able to listen to the podcast today, and uh, Nate, thank you. I, I thought it was awesome. Oh, thanks. Thanks, dude. Yeah, you killed it. Um, I, I just excited, real quick, try to bump in a few things that, that I learned to make this uh, kind of a bonus episode, not as meaty as what Nate did, just uh, just a few small fun things that, that we talked about. First, as I was reading, the, the very first verse actually stuck out to me. When, when Jacob says, I hear there is corn in Egypt, why are you guys sitting around staring at each other? And, and, and I'm pretty sure he says it just like that. What are you oh, yeah. staring like, at each other for? What are you guys looking at each other for? Yeah. yeah. And contrast that. We see this story with Laman and Lemuel and Nephi too when, when they're sitting there complaining and not doing anything to fix it where Nephi is proactive to find a solution. And, and here, look at this with Joseph. When he goes to Pharaoh with a dream and says, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and Nate, you talked about this in this episode, this this progression of Joseph being able to interpret his dreams, others' dreams, and then being able to, not only that, but because of that, come up with the solution or find something to do about it. Confidently go for it. Yes. The ability to take knowledge or take information and act on it as one step further in the development that apparently his brothers aren't at yet as they're sitting there looking at each other. And Jacob says, really? But I think, and again, just to, just to throw this in there real quick too, because I'm actually glad you brought it up, and I don't know if I actually hammered this point home as much as I really wanted to during last week, is what we get out of that is, in my opinion, is that God gives each of us gifts, right? Uh-huh. Some of the gifts are to help us, you know, with whatever that is, uh, with our faith, with whatever that is. Um, hopefully, some of those gifts are given to us to, um, you know, um, help understand other people and maybe, you know what I mean, to help maybe add perspective to some of the other people's gifts. But is the greatest gift of all of those the gift that we all either have or should have or can develop, and that is applying all of those awesome insights that we have to actually go do some good in the world with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that at least is the lesson. I, I I don't know if I did a good enough job of really hammering home that of those of those three things that Joseph kind of explicitly has, the fact that he can confidently go and do 
and and you you mentioned his brothers were sitting around staring at each other. It's funny because I bet you that they all were very aware that there was a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I guess it doesn't take it doesn't take a, a dream to <laughs> interpret that, right? Or or somebody to interpret a dreams to look around and be like, oh, we don't have any food. <laughs> yeah, no, no dream necessary. No dream necessary. Anyways, uh, I, and I love. Uh, it was a talk, one of my favorite talks given by uh, Henry B. Eyring a few years back when I was on my mission. He said, God sends his prepared children to or, uh, to his prepared servants. And the idea that, that we are prepared for something, you know, to, to be able to contribute in some way, and we have that opportunity. And, and my opportunity might be unique or different from the opportunity you have, but as you are prepared you will be put in a position, I think that's one of the greatest things we learned from Joseph, where he is able to literally save the world through through being at the right place at the right time, even though it felt like his whole life he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Here he is in prison for nothing. Here he is being sold for nothing, yet it worked out for the good to save the entire world. And There it is. And, and Doctrine and Covenants, it says, it is not meet that I, the Lord, should command you in all things. And it also says, every man should be anxiously engaged. So find out what that means. And and I wasn't going to go here, but now that, that we mentioned this, um, Candace, the one that's uh, the founder of Exodus, the organization I was able to go out with this last week, she tells the story about going to a church in, in Africa, and, and the church uh, she, she put her chair up against the wall and it chipped the paint and she looked at had 14 layers of paint and as she looked at the different layers they were all fairly fresh new coats colorful or whatever and so she asked what's what's the deal here why why do you have this and they're like oh they had 14 youth groups that year come and and volunteer to paint the church and and the the community didn't need a fresh coat of paint 14 times in the same year <laughs> right and and so she's there, and she finds out what they need. They needed a well that was dug. Yep. And and she tells the story of of maybe you got to go dig the well. And and as we went up to the border in Surrette, we went to go help out, and it was like an expo. There was booth after booth after booth of people there with water bottle and prepared to help and to serve, sitting around doing nothing. Because the refugees, as they come in, they're coming in in vehicles, they're coming in on buses, they're passing the border, they're not stopping, they're going in, and, and there wasn't much use at, at that place. We look at it, we take an assessment, and this is not where we're needed. Well, let's go find out and plug in where we are. And, and don't stand around like these brothers looking at each other saying, what now? Use your capacities, and as you are prepared, God will find a way to plug you in in a meaningful way. That's that's all I wanted to say on that. I love it. Okay, or, what about this goblet? The goblet. Um, I think you did a pretty good job of covering that, Nate. And and I think we look at the Bible and we see this 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 story of this cop, and and it, it plays a role. You have the cup bearer in prison who gets lifted up. You have this cup that that he stills. You have this idea of this cup. In in later mythology, with the Holy Grail tied to that, and and the, and the Last Supper, and this cup, and the Christ, this bitter cup that he doesn't want to take. There's something there, and and when the cup ends up in Benjamin's bag, as as he set this whole 
test up for his brothers to see where they really were at, if they deserved forgiveness or condemnation, standing as this judge, right? It's not any cup. It's not Benjamin's cup. It's specifically Joseph's cup. And Joseph does something interesting. If I could just add one little touch on, on where you went with this. Joseph taps the side of his cup to to discern what the order of his his brothers should sit at the table. He doesn't need to do that. He's their brother. He knows the order, but he's keeping up appearances. In Egyptian culture, they had these divining cups that these that's what you could do. You could tap on it, hear the sounds, look into it and and supposedly communicate with the divine to to get something almost how we look at a Urim and Thummim today in our society. And Joseph, having interpreted dreams, is viewed as someone who is connected to the divine. And it's not unusual. And here he is using an Egyptian image and keeping up Egyptian perception by tapping on the cup. And it's almost kind of deceptive because he's, he's not using the cup, but, but he's kind of masking it that way. And where I think this sets us up, if I just add one last thing to this, is when Moses comes in and we read about these plagues, we'll talk about this later on in the year, obviously. Soon. Soon, very soon. He is he is beating them at their own game. He is taking their miracles from Egyptian history, and he is finding a way to improve on them and, and saying that this was God. So for Joseph, for all intents and purposes, they're looking at him tapping on the cup and they have their assumption. But internally, Joseph knows that it was God that that delivered him to the Ishmaelites, to later the Egyptians, later to prison, later to Pharaoh's court. This whole thing, it's not about some magic cup. It's, it's about a faith in God who took him the path he needed to go to get where he needed to be. Killer, um, let's Randy? keep going. Rending. 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 Renting. 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 Ripping. R- <laughs> renting. <laughs> not Expensive. Renting. Not leasing. Oh. Yeah, not leasing. The rending of the garments. This is something that shows up all throughout the Bible. And so we'll 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 see it over and over again. And we kind of gave you an opportunity to think about this when we're talking about Joseph's coat being rent, and then later um when when Potiphar's wife grabs his coat and and tears it from him, just the, the this idea of being uncovered, and I I want to just add my my perspective on this as I look at it. If if the garment is symbolic of atonement, and and you see that in the New Testament when he says we pray that we may be clothed upon with immortality and eternal life, you look at this in the Old Testament with Adam and Eve when God makes coats of skin and covers them. And and again, that that word for cover, kafar, means atones for them by covering their nakedness. Well, when God is upset with Israel, he says he will discover her nakedness. When Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, they are found naked and they hide themselves because they're ashamed. So if you have a covering or clothing as a, as a symbol of atonement, a, a covering of your hiding your sins, in that case, I look at it as the rending of the garments as a plea for atonement, a, a confession, a uh, uh, I desperately need to be covered. I am uncovered. I am vulnerable. I am in a bad position. Joseph's garments are rent as he is thrown into the pit. But twice, not not by himself. Yes, and, and I think that's an important detail because sometimes 
we find ourselves needing a savior because of what we have done to ourselves. And, and you see that when they rend their garments and say, I admit, I, I am vulnerable. Which we'll get to in a minute. Keep, keep going. But sometimes we need a savior because of what others have done to us, because of, of, of circumstances outside of our control. And, and not every bad thing that happens to us is because we screwed up. I mean, you look at the brothers and, and they say these weird bad things are happening because what we did to Joseph, they have the guilty conscience. You have that on one side where they rend their cart, their garments. Yes, yeah, so, so specifically, because I think this is important, we kind of talked about the redemption arc um, on the last episode too, and, and that's why I'm really glad we're talking about this because, again, re- remember the the their whole story with Joseph started with them taking his beautiful coat, rending it, and then and then putting blood on it, right? To try to basically deceive. It's like the whole thing was deception, right? Yes. Um, and they take it back, and again, obviously, you have a lot of the symbolisms with with the with the blood and and various things like that. But it almost is a really kind of beautiful part of their redemption arc too. Is when the guards come and find the cup in Benjamin's bag. The, it's like it's almost like throwing back to it when they then themselves Red. rent their own clothing. You know what I mean? It's 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 like it, it it's very much kind of coming full circle a little bit. I love that, and I think it's a really I think it's a really kind of important piece of the of their story as well, right? Of yes. their redemption arc, and and almost them them admitting, like you just said, we now desperately need physically a savior as well as you know spiritually as well. We are naked. Uh, we are. And at your mercy, really, too, you know what I mean, to, again, in this case, Joseph, who really does have control over their life or death, and of their family's life or death, too, mm-hmm. right? And they're almost, like, uncovered and naked before him now, really just completely relying on his mercy. And and talking about this idea of being vulnerable, naked, or exposed was what you hit on at the very end of the episode last time when you see it when God speaks to Jacob. And, and it's happened a lot this year. We haven't even touched on it really too much, but his response is, Hinani, or uh, here am I. And, and the word for here, as you said, Hine in Hebrew means behold. Look, look at me. This idea that here am I, I am exposed, almost like this rending of the garments. You're not covering anything. I'm not trying to hide anything. I am here before you. Look upon me. Look upon all of me. Here am I. It's interesting, and again, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but when you bring that up, I all throughout the... All throughout the Book of Mormon, you you read a lot of the things that I have both seen and heard, right? Like the prophets are always talking about they're keeping a record of the things that they've both seen and heard. And it's interesting, too, then when you look back at Adam and when he was offering sacrifices and pleading with God, what was he saying? Hear the words of my mouth. And then, and then again, like, and then... The other side of that is, and behold me, see see my nakedness and help give me the covering. It's it's interesting that those are the two 
those the, 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 those two things are kind of they always are kind of back to, or associated with each other. They always kind of go hand in hand. Behold me and hear me. It's interesting. Yeah, and I love the accountability that that brings. Like you're not trying to hide your sins. You're not trying to run from who you are. You're trying to fix who you are, and you're trying to fix what you've gone through. And by two things, by the words that we say and the things that we do. It's yes. interesting. And also from two things, because there are instances in which we are either an unwilling participant or by no fault of our own, this has happened and we need saving, like like victims. Yes. Where, where they don't want to be blaming themselves, but at the same time, it's hard, or maybe they feel guilty or maybe just completely ashamed. They are stripped naked like Joseph from no fault of their own. They're dealing with this sticky, ugly, messy situation, and they feel naked and ashamed and exposed, and they need that redemption, as opposed to also these brothers who are rending their clothes. And and I look at these two different redemptive arcs. We all experience both, uh, whether it's just death, the fact that we all are born to die, and we require saving from that death. And, and there are instances where we need God's help, not because we did anything in particular, but because we need God. And, and I look at that, that death and hell, physical or, or this inadvertent versus that spiritual that, that maybe can be damning us to hell, that we need that, that redemptive quality for things that we do that we merit that hell. It's awesome. And, and it, as we were talking about this before, Nate, I, I thought you had some profound insight. You asked me what I thought about the rending of the veil in, in this case. And I, I didn't make the connection as I was looking at this. The veil for me is this, this, this covering that, that, that keeps us from God, and the rending of it is what allows us access to God. But, but I, think, uh, I think if you don't mind, you had some excellent insight that maybe helps us see this from a better perspective. Sure, well, and, and again, like, please jump in jump in if I start just going totally astray on this, because I would hate for that no, to happen. You, give but, yourself more credit. But uh, as we've been talking about this, and we've been talking about this intimate relationship and, and almost this marriage relationship with, with Christ and his church, or with God and his people and this covenant, um, it's it man i just started seeing so many more really kind of like intimate symbolisms of even um the idea of the 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 build of the temple the temple and and how when we read about the temple and we're told that our bodies are temples or when or or um they represent more than just a building right um and and as we as we've been kind of talking about this it was just so interesting to think like oh um Constru- construction wise you know when we are going through an endowment process or whatever and again I don't want to get into too many details but but what what an what an amazing representation of even the garments that we wear on our body and kind of like the again the intimate nature of this idea that when found worthy we are found worthy to basically go to the other side of that garment and truly like you know enter into the presence of of god into the most beautiful sacred you know like blissful you know the symbolic place and stuff like that and it's just oh that that just kind of hammers home a lot of the ideas of of this of this truly intimate relationship that we are should be having with 
with God and that he does have with his church and and I, I don't know I don't, I don't I'm, we, when we were talking outside of that we it, it was even more I don't know not graphic or intimate but I I, I want to be just careful that I don't that I'm not saying anything too much yeah and and there's a sacredness to it and and part of that sacredness it, the intimacy is that it is somewhat shrouded and and being able to to talk about that in an appropriate context and understand it with the mature understanding it's it's a beautiful thing the relationship that we have with God and and maybe we'll get more into this even when we in in the come follow me the the church skips over the book of song of solomon's and and according to the the jewish rabbis when they were discussing what books to even include in the old testament they were arguing for a while and finally a rabbi stands up and says, enough enough we can all agree that song of solomon's is the most important book in the bible let's start with where we have common ground and agreement and you're like mm. really that's what they thought but in context of this relationship with God and understanding that yada, meaning to know, you know someone sexually, but also this idea of a covenant, that it's a covenant relationship. It's more than that. And we have this relationship with God. I think maybe we take some time and in a bonus episode down the road later and talk about that book, even though it's not part of Come Follow Me, because it is part of the Old Testament. And I think understanding in this context, as we've been talking about the, the, the renting of the clothes, the veil, and what it means to have that relationship with God, I, I think it gives intimacy its due respect and proper perspective and understanding that it is something that is very sacred, very special, and and there is a lot of beauty about it, and it is very much tied to to God and our relationship with Him. And again, even though you can take so many of these things and look at them solely, like you said, kind of on a basically it it through kind of like like a sexual filter. the The idea is is that is that intimacy is so much more than that. Yes. Right. And that that's why that's why again it's like even though. Even though they're talked about and 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 we use a lot of terms that could you know have very kind of basic sexual overtones or or meanings that think of though of the 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 deep love and connection that God is basically saying I, I want to I want you to understand how how deeply I care about you and love you and. And want you to return to me. I, I'm I'm explaining that you know as God. I'm explaining that through things that that hopefully you can understand. You know I, I'm trying to use language that hopefully you can realize and make connections to to help you understand better something that it's hard for us. And I don't think we can fully know with our imperfect mortal minds. Right? Is how deep God's love truly is for us. And a lot of these symbolisms are probably just to do it, is to take the things that we consider so intimate and sacred and special and, and you know what I mean, and amazing, and trying to go, okay, see, take these things, and it's even more than that, you know? Like, it's, it's even more amazing than that, but th- these are maybe some ways that I can at least, these are some connections that I can at least help maybe you make so that you can make deeper connections with with what I'm trying to say. Yeah, take the greatest relationship you can think of and what that means to you and how important and powerful and special that is yes. and understand that my relationship with you is even more profound than that. Exactly right. 
I love it. Awesome. And and we're we're kind of getting to the end of this episode. Before we finish, though, I want to talk about uh, Asenath, where she comes from, because I, I think it's uh, pretty Asenath, profound. Uh, Joseph's, Joseph's wife. wife. Joseph's wife. Because you look at it and say, if it was such a big deal for Abraham to get a wife not from the Canaanites, and then Isaac and Jacob, and, and this big deal about where they get their wives, and now all of a sudden you settle Joseph with a, an Egyptian wife, it doesn't it doesn't seem to fit with what we've been reading at the Bible. Uh, so there's been a lot of work done in the Utah Genealogical Magazine. They they talk about her background, and and I'm just going to kind of summarize it. Um, let's uh, maybe just read one or two quotes from this. Uh, quote, from the ancient histories of the Chinese, which go back to the time of Noah, we find that Shem left Babylon around B.C. 2204 and went into Egypt and was believed to be the builder under divine guidance of the Great Pyramid. His arrival in Egypt was the Hyksos, or Shepherd King invasion. And I know we say Hyksos, and here in this quote it says Hyksos, so don't don't, don't give me grief on that. <laughs> oh. I'm sure everybody listening was like, what, what? Oh, okay, okay, because everybody knows what the Hyksos is. Uh, all right, I'll keep going. I mean, uh, I only do because I studied my, <laughs> I studied the podcast, and I was like, oh, that's part of this, I guess. But anyways, keep going. It's the only yeah. reason I would ever even know what you're talking about. All right, so according to this Chinese history, the Hyksos, or the Shepherd King invasion of the country, uh, Shem, after building the pyramid, left Egypt with some 240,000 of his people, proceeded to Judea, where he built Jerusalem. So when they talk about Shem, they're not saying Shem himself, but the Chinese history, it's the line of Shem. Shem's descendants went in and, and did this. And there's some interaction, Hyksos, and it helps us maybe understand the context of Joseph, but we don't have time to get into that. Um, the sons of Shem eventually ruled as priest kings at Heliopolis, or on the city of Shem. Quarrels broke out between the brothers. One founded the dynasty at Memphis, and the other two went south and founded the dynasties of Coptes and Elephantine. These kings, reigning simultaneously, were celebrated Hyksis, or shepherd kings, all of the Shemite descent, quite a different race from the native Egyptians. They worshipped one god under the name of Ra, or Cyrus, or Shem, the name of each applying to the same god. Their high priests were invariable princes of the blood royal, and Potiphar, the father of Asnath, must therefore have been a prince. So according to this... And according to a few extra-biblical sources, actually, there was a line of Shem that had established themselves in Memphis and other Egyptian cities that that were priests, that had priesthood. And from this, Joseph is taking a wife, Asnath, as a descendant of a priest in, in one of these Shemite cities. So he is marrying from Shem, not from Canaan. And and I, part of the reason why this becomes so important is you look, it's going to play out because Moses, later on when he goes to liberate the people out of Egypt, he does not inherit the priesthood from his father or his father's fathers or that line. He actually receives it from Jethro, an outsider, another prince who is presiding over people. I say prince, another priest, a high, a high priest. And this is Melchizedek priesthood. So you have these groups of people external to Israel themselves that that have a higher priesthood. Abraham also does not receive the priesthood from his dad, but actually Melchizedek himself gives him this Melchizedek priesthood. 
So I look at these stories and I see the story of Israel, who's later going to come into where they have this Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical order. But outside of them, even Lehi, as he leaves Jerusalem and what you see with the priest society set up there in the Book of Mormon is going to be Melchizedek priesthood. It's, it's almost something setting up the stage that outside of Israel, you do have another people, this Gentile, if you will, the outsider that's going to be possessing a Melchizedek priesthood uh, parallel to these, these Israelites that, that possess this Aaronic priesthood. I, it's kind of some, some beautiful imagery, but explains a little bit about where Asnath comes from in the Bible. Last thing real quick. Just just kind of an interesting thing that um, kind of was picked up on and that you highlighted was um, it is interesting how Judah kind of starts taking over a lot of the, um, I don't know, not duties necessarily, but a lot of the privileges and duties of the firstborn. And when the blessings are given, um, he actually kind of jumps three of his brothers um, to uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, uh, they're all kind of like a, they're all kind of given not a curse, but like a hey, you're not getting much. You got, yeah, you guys are knuckleheads. <laughs> and Judah, and and as we kind of talked about, like Judah even says specifically in the language which you pointed out is that was I think pretty profound and interesting. Um, I mean, the, the specifically in in forty. 42 or 43 when he says I need to take Benjamin back what is it he tells Jacob specifically if if I can't return with Benjamin it will be on me and on my family and and maybe I should read that so I'm not just sorry I got it right here Genesis 43 and um, is it 8? 9 and I will be surety for him of my hand shalt thou require him of my hand if I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, let me bear the blame forever. So it is interesting because in this case, he is the one that basically offers himself to Joseph when they do get back and everything's gone down with Benjamin. He says, look, I'll be, like, I'll be your servant um, and, and steps up to the plate truly, right? And because of that, and I think that this is important, because because of him actually being willing to recognize and see his chance to to pay off that commitment to his dad of the tribes it's his and Joseph's that make it right that don't get like lost or in some cases like we've talked about with Levi um completely taken from them right like their their nations end up not even they don't even end up with uh, a nation. They're right? the two strongest. Yeah, Levi, it, rather than inheriting their own nation, they are the priests that are scattered among all of the other nations. They're the one tribe that is sacrificed, if you will, so you don't have to sacrifice the firstborn son. So it's interesting because then you pointed out when that same language was used later by Judah or the house of Judah. Do you want to do you want to touch on that real quick so I don't butcher it? When you, when you're. Are you talking about when Christ yes. was offered as a, or not offered, but yes, when 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 basically because it, it was to Pilate, right? That they yeah, were Pontius basically... Pilate was saying, "What shall we do with him? I find no fault in him, and and willing to let him go." And and the the Jews, right? We're the talking about the house of Judah cries out and says, "Let it be on us." 
us and our generations and right? our posterity. Yeah, let us be accountable for. It. And Pontius washes his hands and saying, "We are not accountable for what's going to happen because you're taking this on on your shoulders." It's interesting the that the same language is used in two very very different situations, and in this situation, one owning the savior, the other rejecting. That's the exactly right. And and in the first case, Judah really coming coming forward and stepping up to the plate and almost again accepting the responsibility of of the oldest, the most responsible and whatever. And because of that, in that first case, being blessed with a great nation, right? And in this case, with the 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 savior, they say the same thing and then do wickedly with that, right? And yeah. we've it's not like we haven't talked about everything that the Jews have had to, you know, deal with since then, right? And and all of just the the tragedy and 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 all of the hardships, you know, that they've had to deal with since then. I don't know. I'm, I guess I think it's just interesting and maybe something worth pointing out. I like it. All right, we're Killer. about to wrap up. Um, I I do have to apologize. Uh, Nate misspoke, but it wasn't his fault. It was mine. When when he said that he went to Beersheba, Jacob, on his way back and had that vision to kind of help him oh, understand, yeah. that was my fault. Um, it because he said it, it, the same as Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder happens in Bethel. Bethel yep. And, yep, that's and right. on the phone call as we were talking, and I, I got mixed up where he's saying that he's coming from Beersheba to Bethel. And I'm thinking, oh, they're the same place, but it's similar. Beersheba is also a place where Abraham has a vision and, and makes a covenant and builds an altar. It is very sacred, but it is separate from, from Bethel and the place where he has that, 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 the vision of the temple, if you will, that the house of God, Bethel. Okay, I'm glad you corrected that. Thank you. Let's wrap up this episode maybe with a quick so what. Uh, just my takeaway from this is you look at Joseph being bounced, bounced around in every situation possible. And sometimes it feels like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, I am reminded of Elder Eyring's talk he gave uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, what, 15 years ago, where he said the Lord sends his prepared children to his prepared servants. And prepared can have all sorts of different meanings. We are who we are for a reason and where we are for a reason. And find a place, maybe stop staring around at each other, but find a place or a way, a meaning to where we can be anxiously engaged and make the most of those opportunities. If we want to, the Lord will find a way to use us that he can help. Something so powerful about this story of Joseph is the idea that in the end it's made right. And that's what we expect from God, is that he will make it right. And you you ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But in the end, the Lord turns it for his purpose. And if we want to do God's work or be engaged, the work of God is righting the wrongs, clothing the the exposed, the naked. And, And if we want to participate in that, find a way that we can be engaged and help others find that that closure, that help. Uh, take take opportunity. As, as I was seeing this bright light from these Christian churches in the face of darkness and war and, and just the awful things, I'll tell you, I saw uh, on, on, on the Ukrainian border, the men aren't allowed to leave, and they would drive up to the border with their wives and their children. And you look into the eyes of their wives— and see the sadness knowing that they have to say goodbye to their husband 
and and come over and try to figure out how to raise a family where they don't have home, they don't know where they're going, they don't they don't have work, they don't know if they'll ever see their husband again. And and the kids, they don't get it. They're they're going and grabbing their chocolate milk or hanging out and you know, teasing each other as brothers do, but you see it in the eyes of the mom and you see it in the eyes of the dad. They they didn't they didn't do anything to to deserve this like Joseph and and there's plenty of opportunity in the world and to see people rise up and be that light and do God's work to offer something to make things better that's my takeaway from from looking at Joseph his willingness to forgive everyone else and and bring light to a world that was otherwise condemned amen brother okay let's wrap it up all right um for our for our music um, little outro, we're actually going to kind of let it play. Um, Jason, do you want to just very 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 quickly tell them what we're going to be listening to? Yeah. So Sunday, as I attended a, a small Christian church, there there was not twenty people in that room, and and as they sang hymns, um, as pleading for peace in in this war torn world, it it touched my heart to to hear their songs. I could just imagine God looking at a world of wickedness and yet hearing the song of these saints uniting in him. And and as that touched me, it's something I wanted to share with you guys to to listen to their sincere their their sincere singing. Okay, so that's what we're gonna listen to um as our little outro bump. And then um we're gonna be getting back together here in a few days to um get next week's uh, come follow me lesson in um but appreciate you guys listening and um hopefully you enjoy um this little this little uh, musical outro <laughs> Oh, uh-huh.
See you.